really quick here before we officially kick off. Um, <clears throat> there's a, there have been a couple of you um, for all kinds of reasons. It's been a wild uh, few months who have missed um, Marion Ostrander. I was speaking with you. Um, I've had a couple of you ask for print-offs of uh, sets of notes from weeks that you've missed. I'm going to leave a little sheet of paper up here, and if you could just put your name and what lessons you'd like to have on it, I'm happy to print those off. Um, there used to be a stack. I, I usually put the, the extra ones out in the lobby, but you can tell some of those have been picked up. So if anyone's missing, and if you want them, I'd be happy to provide those. Just give me your name, and that'll be more organized, and that way I'd be less li- I'll be less likely to forget. So... Um, For those of you who weren't here, um, last week we took the divided kingdoms and we did Israel, the northern kingdom, from the time of the division of the kingdom until Israel is wiped out, carried away, and as a political entity, they are no more. Um, Today, we're going to be starting on the southern kingdom of Judah, and uh, just as a little... uh, I've been meaning to put this up on a map for you guys. I wanted to kind of show you how we're going to be, um, so you can sort of orient how you think about this in your mind. Um, This obviously, Israel, here's Jerusalem, and what we're going to see here is, um, this is the Phoenician Phoenician kingdom, remember the Phoenician um, Jezebel, this is the land of the Philistines, Philistia, remember that. And we have Saul's kingdom, David's kingdom is larger, and then ultimately David and then Solomon's kingdom reaches this larger extent here. Remember Solomon was receiving tribute from a lot of the uh, surrounding kingdoms. So I just want you to see what Israel was like at its greatest extent, okay? And then... After Solomon, Solomon's sin, and then we have his son, Rehoboam, which is where we're going to start off today, and then the kingdom is bisected, it's split, commonly referred to, yeah, you can go to the next slide there, thank you. We'll zoom in a little bit here, and you can see, first of all, it's not nearly as large as it once was. We sort of zoom in and shrink, and we have uh, the southern kingdom, which would be for, referred to as Judah, um, and the northern tribes, which are referred to somewhat confusingly as Israel. It's referred to as Judah because it's primarily, the southern kingdom is composed of the tribe of Judah. There's, there's um, some descriptions of uh, the tribe of Simeon being down here, although that seems, um, they seem to have decreased greatly in size over time. Also, there's mention of uh, soldiers from the tribe of Benjamin, who are right up in here, being loyal to uh, Judah. But primarily, Judah is called Judah. The southern kingdom is called Judah because it is made up of uh, the tribe of Judah. And then you have the other tribes up here in the north, okay? This is what we did last week, okay? Um, From beginning to end, you might say, starting with uh, Jeroboam, appointed by God, and ending with him being carried away. This... The southern kingdom of Judah is what we're going to do this week, okay? So we'll start off here with Rehoboam. We're in 1 Kings 12. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, begins his reign, um, and, and we touched on this a little bit earlier. Basically, the people approach him. They're just like, you know, obviously your father's a great king. However, his yoke over us was very heavy. 
heavy burden in taxes. There was a required service for all these public projects. Um, can you make that a little easier on us? And Rehoboam takes, he says, give me three days. And he goes away and he confers with all the old courtiers and the wise older men who had, who had been in the court of his father. And after three days of that, he decides to completely disregard all of their um, advice and instead sort of assert himself by saying, you know what, I'm actually going to make it way tougher on you guys. You guys are complaining. My father was a great king. He was hard on you. I'm going to be far harder. The people are like, nope. And right away, divided kingdom. This is, this is right where it kicks in. Um, we'll go into a little bit more depth on that today. Um, it could have been an attempt to sort of slow down, stop, quell the rebellion before it really got out of hand. Um, Rehoboam sends Adoram, who was um, sort of in charge of all the, um, the forced labor over these public projects, and he sort of sends him to sort of go and address this situation. But the people in the north stone Adoram, so that's a pretty uh, clear indication when you know the king sends a representative and they stone him, it's pretty clear now we're in a full state of rebellion. The north no longer wants uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, as king. As a matter of fact, uh, Rehoboam has to literally flee, run to his chariot, and, and go south to keep from being himself harmed. Well, any king who faces a rebellion knows what you're supposed to do next. Rehoboam flees south into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is still in Judah in the southern kingdom, and he assembles an army of 180,000 men. This is a massive army from among uh, Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. However, this great military campaign, this conquest, you might say, to reunite the kingdom, never happens. A prophet um, relays a message from God to Rehoboam telling him not to go out and fight and that God has instituted this division. So, kind of first question for the day, why would God prevent this invasion? Um, Rehoboam, um, Solomon's son, is behaving in a completely normal way for a king. And, you know, his father's kingdom was massive, you know, and he obviously has strong intentions about ruling. Otherwise, why open up your reign with such a heavy hand? I am king. I will rule you. Your burden will be even heavier under me. No, we don't want you and we're going to kill your emissary. Okay, well then I'm going to reunite by force all of this. God sends a message, says no, do not. Why not? Why wouldn't, uh, why wouldn't God want that to happen? Lee. I think maybe because uh, the path that they were on, the northern uh, bunch we're seriously into idol worship and, you know, the really bad stuff. And yes. perhaps God's saying, no, we've got to keep that separate so that there's a remnant of people that follow my word at least a little bit. <laughs> yes, I think that's important. I think, um, I think it's also too import, uh, important to uh, um, remember that, that in, in, in a way there's punishment involved, Right that the, um, the southern kingdom, and we'll talk about this, is going to keep the line of David. That's very important. The northern line will not. And that this all was instituted um, by God himself who actually spoke to 
Jeroboam, who will be king in the north, and told him to do this, okay? Um, and in 1 Kings uh, 21, 14, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up and fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again, according to the word of the Lord. So I just think it's interesting that the king of the south, Rehoboam, responded in a normal way, but God really, um, God makes it clear that, that he is the one who's instituted this, this division has come from him, there's, there's going to be punishment involved, and ultimately the two kingdoms will have different fates. Um, so just a, something I found kind of fascinating there. Rehoboam, now, back in the south, um, will, who will rule from Jerusalem. Remember in the north, we talked about Samaria. Remember the purchasing, the fortification of the city of Samaria? That's an important uh, word to remember for the, when we get to the New Testament. But Rehoboam will rule from Jerusalem over Judah for 17 years. Um, under his kingship, unfortunately, um, Judah builds high places, Asherahs. You guys know what an Asherah pole is? You guys familiar with that term? It's a place, um, it can be like a totem, if you will, um, a place where um, pagan worship services are carried out. We'll, get, we'll talk about this more here in a little bit, but these were in all of Israel before they got there. Um, and it is to Rehoboam's great shame that he allows this to happen. During the fifth year of his rule, of Rehoboam's rule, the king of Egypt comes up from the south and he, takes, and he comes to, uh, against Jerusalem and takes away all the treasures from the house of the Lord and from the king's palace. Um, and it is only when Rehoboam and the princes of the kingdom humble themselves before God that God relents from destroying them completely. So Egypt down here, a great power, still is. They come up from the south, and you might say they sacked Jerusalem, they plundered Jerusalem, and it's sort of a, it's a sad it's a sad sign of the way things are heading. We're going to see Judah being sacked a lot, where it used to be that, um, you know, they had military influence over the whole region. Now they are quite frequently being overrun. But, um, and this is how we see the rule of Rehoboam and his end. And his son Abijah takes the throne. Rehoboam's son Abijah reigns for three years over Judah. He continues in all the sin of his father, and his heart is not holy with the Lord. So again, the things that his father allowed to happen, these high places, the Asherah, also male cult prostitutes. I know, um, but pagan worship in the ancient world often took many forms. Um, that would be one of the forms it could take as an act of worship with a temple prostitute. Um, obviously, this is all horrifically ungodly, but there's an interesting thing here. We might expect that God, in the face of all this, would tear away very quickly, very quickly, these, these rulers in the south, because remember last week when we talked through Israel's history, it seemed like every time one king got done, there was another king popping up from somewhere else and pop up and wipe out the previous king and all his family and then take the throne. It's not like that in the north. Scripture records that God continues the line of Abijah only for the sake of his great-grandfather David. 
First Kings uses the phrase, Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day, when they, they describe the splitting of the kingdom. And in this passage, God only preserves the Davidic line for the sake of David. What does that reveal about God's attitude toward David? That's really, it's really interesting when you think about it. We've got like Rehoboam allowed all these ungodly things. His son continues in his way. You might think God would jump in and be like, that's it, I'm done. You guys are all gonna be killed and we're gonna turn it over, we're gonna have a new king. That's what's happening in Israel, but not true. For the sake of David, God stays his hand and says, I will keep that line. It's very interesting. What does that tell us about how God feels about David? This is sort of a interesting commentary on a king who's been out of our story for a while now, but God hasn't forgotten about him. I guess my first thought when you mentioned that was not so much about what God thought about David as what God thought, thinks about the covenants he makes. He keeps his covenants always. Excellent point. I think that's a fantastic point. Um, it just it speaks to the fact that God takes his covenants he makes seriously. He's, he's, he's keeping the line of David going for now in spite of this sinfulness. And we will see that... The succession looks a lot different. Again, in Israel, it's these military coups and these tre- and this treacherous takeovers and all these kinds of things. In Judah, for now at least, we see the line of David being preserved, and it's mostly passed from father to son. So we see God's hand there in a very different, different way. Um, and it's just interesting that they, that First Kings uses the phrase "Israel's been in rebellion against the house of David." So. Yes, God instituted Jeroboam to take over the northern kingdoms, but he still recognizes the house of David. He still thinks about the house of David. Um, it, it's, it's, he thinks about the two kingdoms in that way differently. So I just think that's an interesting point about uh, David himself. And Abijah, another evil king, dies. His son, Asa, reigns for 41 years over Judah, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as once David did. He gets rid of the idols. He gets rid of the cult prostitutes. And when he finds out that his mother, the queen, had made herself an Asherah to worship, he gets rid of her too. So, mom, we're not doing that anymore. It's very interesting. Also, you guys remember from last week, Israel didn't have a lot of good kings. They had Jehu, who was sort of a bright spot, but their their kings were bad tending toward abysmal. They were really horrible and got worse and worse. So we will see that uh, the southern kingdom is, is blessed with um, more good um, kings or kings that had more good qualities. And he wars, Asa wars with the king of Israel. So now, although we didn't have the large military invasion that Jeroboam had once planned. We are at war, so the northern and southern kingdoms are at war. Um, and we see, too, Jerusalem is very close to the border between the two kingdoms. And to try and weaken Jerusalem or sort of isolate it, <clears throat> the king of Israel comes down and he's trying to build a another military stronghold city just north of Jerusalem. Um, 
And in response, Asa uses the remaining treasures in the temple and the palace and his palace, and he, and he gives them to a neighboring king to break the covenant that that neighboring king had had with Israel to weaken Israel, so Israel is forced to stop the building project. Not a major point, but we just see the conflict between the two nations and sort of a chess match about like, oh, well, Jerusalem's here. We're going to build another city here. No, you're not. We're going to kind of destroy your alliance with another king. We're going to pay for that, basically. So the two kingdoms at this point, not getting along. Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, is next. He reigns for 25 years over Judah. He walks in the ways of his father and generally did what's right in the eyes of the Lord. However, like his father, there are still high places that we talked about a little bit on which people sacrifice. But a major change we see here, uh, Jehoshaphat makes peace with Israel, okay? So now you might say the, the, um, the temperature has cooled a little between the kingdoms. He even fought alongside the wicked king Ahab, everyone remembers Ahab from last week, against the Syrians. This, remember, is when Ahab died. Remember I told you how he bravely disguised himself for battle, hoping that the opposing army that he knew was searching for the king would kill Jehoshaphat instead? But God sees everything, and so a, an arrow that, you know, it's called a random arrow, but of course it wasn't random, um, kills Ahab instead. But so now the two kingdoms are allies pretty quickly within the span of one ruler. And um, again, we talked about Ahab last week. So here's my question. So as the relationship between Israel and Judah moved from open war to sort of a, we'll call it an uncomfortable alliance, um, are there any benefits to that, between, having peace between the two? This is a divided kingdom. Are there any risks? What do you guys think? Because this is important, right? Um, in the flow of, you know, the politics and military history of the region, but also, what do you guys think? Is it a big deal? Greg? Well, Scripture tells us over, uh, repeatedly that we're not to unequally yoke ourselves with somebody that is not doesn't believe what we believe or isn't pulling in the same direction we are and so by combining back with Israel you you may be thinking you're gaining strength but you're not gaining purity of of direction and so yeah there's a risk uh, that they could just turn on you as soon as you accomplish maybe whatever you want to do together I think I think that's fair. I do. I think that, like I said, the, the military benefit's pretty obvious. We're stronger as together than we were apart. But remember, Ahab was the one who up in Israel brought in the Baal worship, okay? The Phoenician gods, okay, that came with uh, his princess, Jezebel. So now with, with this alliance, we get we, th- this coupling that can cause... Um, that will cause, we'll see, some, some problematic developments. The next king is Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's son. He reigns for eight years. It's interesting to note he walked in the evil ways of King Ahab, who was also his father-in-law. So now we've got some intermarrying here, you might say, between the kingdoms. And he did what's evil in the sight of the Lord. So with our alliance comes in influence of pagan worship, things that aren't supposed to be there. Remember, like we talked about last week, Israel at this point, their priesthood, 
they had to come up with their own priests and they had to come up with their own system of worship. Remember um, Jeroboam's golden calves? They had to come up with something separate because their kings didn't want them having a worship center that was in someone else's country. So with the mixing here, we see the influence of the northern king. However, God, for the sake of his promise to David, did not destroy Judah. Now, we've talked about that promise a little bit. Um, if you want to read it, it's in 1 Kings eleven thirty through 37. And it's made, um, it's God's instruction. It's when God's giving instructions to Jeroboam via this prophet, Ahijah. And it talks about, I'll just read it for you. You guys might like this. <clears throat> 1 Kings 11, we'll start in uh, verse 30. And this, remember, this is Ahijah, God's prophet, speaking to Jeroboam. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you 10 tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemish, the god of the Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and keeping my statutes and my rules as David, his father, did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes." So again, Leah, you pointed it out earlier. God takes these things very seriously. He told Jeroboam before he took charge in the north that he's going to preserve this house of David. And um, at least for this time, he does. And I just think that's um, an important point. And I just think, again, it just highlights the difference in how the kingdom gets passed down the succession in the north and in the south. So what happens next? Can you go back one slide, please, Mike? We have a, uh, another change here. We talked about how um, we see the waning of the, even, even with an alliance, we see the waning of the power of uh, Judah militarily. The Edomites revolt. This is Edom down here in the south. Once under the influence and control of Judah, they break away. Um, Jehoram leads chariots out in a night offensive to try and uh, regain it, but his army is surrounded and it flees, and Edom will continue to remain independent. So again, we see this like little bites of the, little bites of the kingdom are sort of coming away, and what was once Solomon's much larger empire is now just within a few generations much smaller, and Edom is gone. And now we come to uh, one of the most interesting parts of our narrative today, which is... Um, a point at which it seems that um, this succession in the south will be lost, and that's uh, Jehoram's son, Ahaziah. Ahaziah becomes the king at the relatively young age of 22. He, like his father, um, walks in the ways of King Ahab of the northern kingdom and does evil. And now it would be fair to say that there's an even closer relationship between 
the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And to illustrate that, Ahaziah's mother is the granddaughter of Omri, who was a former king in the north. And Ahaziah, the king of Judah, fights alongside King Joram of Israel, who was Ahab's son, and even goes to visit Joram when he's sick. So now we have almost this familial level of intimacy between the northern and southern kings, and that's fitting in some ways because both these kings will die together. The king of the north and the king of the south, they will die together. We look back to the one bright spot from the uh, northern kingdom of Israel, Jehu, who was an army commander that God raised up, told him to uh, destroy, that, destroy the house of Ahab. And, and, Jor, and um, Jehu goes out in search of the house of Ahab. And when the king of the north sees him coming, he tries to flee, but Jehu shoots him through the heart with an arrow from his chariot. But before the king of the north dies, he shouts out a warning to Ahaziah, the king of the south. So they're there together. And Ahaziah flees in his chariot, but Jehu pursues him, and he shoots the young king of Judah as well. Well, that's a game changer. So God raised up this military commander in the north, and because they were in the same place at the same time, he kills both the kings. All right? So this throws the... uh, Succession in the south into question now because now it seems that the line has been interrupted. And now we see Athaliah, who's an interesting character in this story, unique. This is Ahaziah's mother, and Ahaziah, remember, was just killed by Jehu. Ahaziah's mother finds out that her son has been killed, and she acts in a very interesting way. She has the entire royal family killed. This is in the south. I know this is a lot of names. Just bear with me here. I'll try and make it as easy as I can. But basically, the queen mother finds out that her son has been killed in battle when he was spending time with the king of the north. And well, if you want to take power, that would be a good way to start, right? So she does what hasn't been done before. She kills all the royal family. Now remember, she is the granddaughter of Omri, a former king of the north. And she wants to take power, which she does. Um, But, but, the king's sister manages to conceal one of King Ahaziah's son, an an infant prince named Joash. Now, because we know that Athaliah has the entire royal family killed, it's very likely that the king's sister conceals this infant and then dies herself. But what she does is important. It's very important to have lasting effects. But for the next six years, Joash is concealed. He's hidden in the temple. And Athaliah reigns as a queen over Judah. I think that's kind of interesting. Why would she be allowed to reign over Judah? We've had this long succession of kings, and then her son dies. She kills everyone else, she thinks. 
why is she allowed to reign? I mean, I think we'll see in a few minutes that the sympathies of the people might be against her, but she holds power for six years. Um, I, I think that it's just, it's just kind of a fascinating thing. Um, I think it shows the, that, that Judah is, the state of Judah is declining. I think it shows that her, um, this brutality, this, this kill the whole family and stop the line and I'll take over, that's what they were doing up in the north. They hadn't had that down in the south. So I think that there, maybe it was just sort of a state of shock or we don't have a king or we don't have the bloodline anymore. What do we do? But for, for a little while, she reigns in Judah. But the young prince, Joash, a priest, six years later, brings the captains and the guards and shows them this young prince. And he charges the guards, he charges them to guard the prince and even arms them with old spears and shields from the temple that had belonged to David. And the priest then brings Joash out and crowns him king and all cry, long live the king. So it's very interesting, this story here, God has preserved this infant, hidden away, tucked away, while this queen rules over Judah and this infant grows up for six years in the temple and then this priest basically calls all the guards and he calls the military people and he said, hey, you know who this is? And they're like, who? And they're like, this is King Ahaziah's son. And they're like, fantastic, you know? They were ready for this, apparently, because he didn't have much, the priest didn't have much uh, trouble convincing them to fall in line behind this. And they all come together, long live the king. When, the, when Athaliah hears this, she rushes, rushes to the temple and cries treason. But the priest who is showing a bit of control over the situation at this moment, commands the captains and she's seized. And the priest says, don't kill her in the house of the Lord. So they drag her right outside and finish the job. So Joash, who is now seven years old, begins to reign. And during the early part of his reign, he's instructed by the same priest who helped make him king. And he does good in the sight of the Lord. The temple had fallen into disrepair. He repairs the temple and later uses uh, treasury gold to pay off Syria and prevent another conquest of Jerusalem. So we have this infant, this baby who's preserved, who's um, this priest shows to the leaders and they say yes and he becomes king and the queen who had killed the rest of the royal family and usurped the throne, she is done away with. This brings us to Amaziah, Joash's son. He was king over Judah for 29 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he also did not remove the high places at which many offered pagan sacrifices. So again, we see kind of a good and bad side to these these uh, last two kings. Um, maybe it was because he grew up in the temple for this first couple years, um, but Joash was, was, did good in the eyes of God, especially in the early part of his reign, and so does his son Amaziah. Um, 
But Amaziah has some unfinished business. Um, and the reason is because his father, Joash, is killed in a cons- was, was killed in a conspiracy by his servants. Um, so, and again, this is more the kind of things, the conspiracies and the murders and stuff that we saw in the northern kingdom, not so much in the south. Um, but Amaziah, once he becomes king and solidifies his power, he kills those servants who conspired against his father. We're now in 2 Kings 14, if you're following along. And again, we've had to make some massive jumps just to keep the flow of the narrative. But um, there's an interesting point here I wanted to make just to show that it's not quite, that there is still godly, that there is still godly laws and godly principles guiding um, some of these things. It says specifically in um, 2 Kings 14 that Amaziah, I'll start in verse three. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did in all things as Joash his father had done, but the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And as soon as the royal and as soon as the royal power was firmly in his hand, he struck down the servants who had struck down the king his father. But he did not put to death the children of the murderers, according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, where the Lord commanded, "Fathers shall not." be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers, but each one shall die for his own sin. So even though, <clears throat> even though Amaziah's father, Joash, was killed by a conspiracy, and even though he takes justice once he becomes king himself, I just think it's an interesting point to show, again, a difference between some of the successions in the north and this succession was like, yes, the guilty people will die. Well, what about their families? We're not killing their kids. It's in the law of Moses and it's, it's in Deuteronomy 24, 16 if you want to read it. The kids don't die for the sins of their fathers. You don't get punished for something your father did. Um, and I just think that's a really, really interesting point and an interesting principle about God's justice. Does this principle have any relevance to us in the New Testament church? Each person is going to die and get punished for their own sins. Is that relevant to us today? Is there anything there? Anything we might recognize? Is that even an issue today? I think it tells us something about God's justice. Does it matter? You know, are, are we... I just feel like sometimes we need to remember that that is how God views justice, okay? That's the law of Moses. Like, these children aren't guilty because their father sinned. And even in the New Testament church, I think that's a relevant principle about sin, that, that we don't punish, that, and that God, God doesn't view the guilt in that way. Um, I don't want to make too much about it, but I just think that's a good point for us to remember that um, and even in the law of Moses, people didn't get punished for sins they didn't commit. That if your father was a wicked, evil man, that doesn't mean that you die. Um, and again, just shows a difference between the sort of uh, house cleaning, wanton violence that was happening with some of the northern successions and the way things are in the south in Judah. <clears throat> so, Moving on, Amaziah strikes down 10,000 Edomites and then incites the northern king to battle once again. Wouldn't be talked out of it. 
Amaziah is soundly defeated and captured. And Jehoash, the king of the north, comes down and breaks down part of Jerusalem's wall and sacks the treasure of the temple and the palace. And Amaziah later flees to Jerusalem to avoid a conspiracy, but is also himself pursued and killed. So we see the devolution here. We see the breaking apart. We see that the kings are, that the, the kings are a little less powerful in the south all the time. Everything's a little more unstable. Everything's a little more weak. And now the south and the north are at war again. And that Jerusalem has been sacked and its riches plundered yet again. And this gives us to the last king that we're going to cover today, Uzziah. Uzziah, the son of Amaziah, begins his reign at the age of 16 and will reign for an amazing 52 years. And much like his father, he does what's right in the eyes of the Lord, with the exception of failing to remove the high places that are still not taken away. And we've talked a lot about these high places because that seems to be the residing sin of Judah. They have some good kings. They have some kings who try to follow godly principles, who are instructed by priests, who, um, who, who try to remain faithful to God. But there's this one indictment against them. You leave the high places. Um, we talked about how um, these high places were there. And I've got, um, I won't read them for you, but in Numbers 33 and Deuteronomy 12, you can read about that these high places were there before the Israelites came in. Again, it's the, these pagan worship places. Um, why does that matter? I mean, they have the temple in the south, okay? There's still Levitic, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's still Levitical priests making sacrifices in the south. Why does it matter um, that these high places, no king so far has really dealt with them? Is, is, is it really that big a deal? Um, I mean, surely the fact, yes, Lee. Well, handy dandy uh, phone says um, that uh, they were uh, kind of a leftover of the Canaanite Mm -hmm. culture that the Israelites, so I'm thinking this is once again a failure at the beginning of the founding of Israel in the land that if they would have wiped out the Canaanites and done like they were supposed to, I'm guessing this would have been gone. And the other thing is, since it's kind of a traditional thing, I'm guessing this is probably pretty popular with some parts of the culture that it's like a party place because it would be a place of unfettered partying and like sin and prostitution and I'm guessing, you know, drunkenness, the whole ball of wax. Yes, I, I agree. Um, like I said, it was a leftover from earlier um, pagan peoples. That So in a way, it's an indictment that they didn't clear them out and get rid of them. Um, it's because it is a, certainly a stumbling block for them and appears to have been popular with the people since nobody gets rid of them. Um, but again, God has instituted how he will be worshipped, okay? And, and he was not... We, we've talked about that a lot, but that is just, when you read about the high places, I just want you to think like former worship centers, this was not what God had ordained. Even if someone went up to one of those sites to offer a sacrifice to Yahweh, that is not the way God ordained that he should be worshiped, okay? God has a place 
that he resides, okay? And that was in the temple. Remember when his presence came and filled the temple, okay? This is where he will be worshiped and he'll be worshiped in the way that his law prescribes. So even if you're trying to worship him in some other way, at some other place, certainly if you're worshiping some other God, this is, um, this is completely wrong. It is an influence that they have a hard time getting rid of and it, and it tends to, it seems to last throughout all these kings, even kings who did well in other places, don't seem to be willing to deal with this. Um, but anyway, so you can read more about that if you want to. And um, as long as Uzziah seeks after the Lord, God makes him prosper. Under him, Judah, for the first time in a long time, has some renewed military success um, against uh, its enemies, its neighboring enemies, even the Philistines. They put them to flight. Um, Uzziah fortifies Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was just recently torn down. It's part of the wall. And, and the temple treasury was sacked. He improves agriculture and builds his army up to 300,000 men. So Uzziah, in some ways, th this is as good as Judah's had it for a long time. Better agriculture, more military power, some military success. Their sphere of influence grows. Um, but... With the kind of success and even godliness that Judah hasn't had in a long time, what, what, what's the danger? What comes next? You haven't had things this good in a long time. You haven't had a leader that was this successful in a bit. What seems to be the thing that always, what, what's the one stumbling block when things go so well? Pride, right? It's always what comes next. Um, the you know, can't, can't handle the success. Um, and Uzziah does something very, very foolish. He attempts to burn incense in the temple. This act was not for the king to perform. And the, the priests try and stop and say, oh, you know, king, you can't do this. Um, Uzziah, in his pride, tries to go through with it. And he struck down by God with leprosy. And he would su suffer from that condition for the rest of his life. So even, even in the midst of this you know, period of success and sort of renaissance that Judah's ex um, experiencing underneath, uh, <clears throat> under the reign of Uzziah, Uzziah himself falls prey to pride and is punished with leprosy for the rest of his life. Um, and we'll stop here. I, I, I just to, I know this is tough. This is a lot of names. There's a lot of kings. There's a lot of battles. I cut out as many as I could, but I wanted to kind of, I needed you guys to see what was going on in Israel and in Judah at about the same time. That's what we've done in the last two weeks. Um, we're stopping with King Uzziah because basically next week we're going to do the fall in the Babylonian captivity, okay? The northern Israel gets carried away and they never come back. Judah will also be carried away, but there will be a return and rebuilding. So I think we have two weeks left, one for the Babylonian captivity of Judah and one for the restoration of Israel. And then 400 quiet years and then Christ walks on earth. If you guys want to, I could put together, you guys are, if, if you guys want, I could put together a, a small little thing about what was going on in this region 
between the Old and the New Testaments, if that would interest you. Um, that would be um, just, just as a small little extra lesson. If you guys want to know about that, or I could do a, a small print up about it. But basically, I think we have two weeks left. We won't be here next week. Um, and again, I know this is, this is a real wordy section with a lot of narratives and a lot of stuff going on, but thanks for hanging in there with me. And we stopped, like I said, this is a good place to stop. And this, to, be, um, to kind of connect it back to other things that are going on in the Bible, um, right now, the prophet Isaiah is active. Everyone remember that famous passage in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6. See, I just connected that, connected those dots for you, okay? This is King Uzziah. Let's see where we're stopping. So um, thank you guys for hanging in there with that. Not a whole lot to say about this one. It's real wordy. Um, thoughts about, and you can click one more, one more slide over, please, Mike. And thoughts about the northern and the southern kingdom, about the differences, about the similarities, questions about any of the narratives, Just a lot of kings and a lot of names. Yes, Deb. A question. Yes. I uh, got stuck in Chronicles when yes. you switched to Kings. Is Jer? All right, you got to spell it. But um, one Chronicles says mm-hmm. J E R. Oh dear. In other words, um, the father of <coughs> where is it? Ahaziah, and mm-hmm. anyways, um, I was wondering, Jerohem, mm-hmm. is, is he in E, okay, back on page 71, mm-hmm. is he the same as J-E-R-O-H-A-M in, in Chronicles? Let me grab my chart here for just a second, and like I said, the, the best way I can tell you to do it is to try and go off the the chart of the two different kingdoms yeah. because um, unfortunately there are some people that share names. Oh, Joram. Okay, I found it. Did you find it okay? Yeah, so it's the same dude. Uh, it's uh, his father, Jehoram or Joram. Right. Right yes. there and, in the and, middle. And, and again, the alternative okay. spellings are killers. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. That's why okay. I want you guys to have this. I refer to this a lot because it's kind of hard to remember where you're at if you don't. And again, we could have, I know it seems like we get bogged down in all the different kings and all the different names. I'm just giving you the, a tiny little slice. There's a lot more. Also complicating the issue is the fact that the narrative is taking place in both the kings and the chronicles, okay? So to really get a hold on this, you need a chart to show you which kingdom you're in, which king you're talking about, and you need to read the first and second kings and the first and second chronicles. Um, that will give you more layers of depth than we can cover here, but... Um, it is, it is interesting, it is useful, and you see little bits of, of, of God shining through his faithfulness and preserving the Davidic line, the law of Moses, the justice, no, we're not gonna kill those children, these little spots that shine through. So there's a lot to learn there for us, although I will admit this is not the easiest section to get through, but like I said, just as a flyover, a flyover view. Um, and again, I think we have two weeks left, but not next week because we have the congregational meeting. Did that answer your question? Did you find what you were looking for there? Okay, perfect. And, and the chart also has some of the little alternative spellings on there too. I just referred, like Uzziah could also be called Azariah. I know, I know. But if you trace it, that's, that's the way it goes. I referred to him as Uzziah just because that's how he's referred to in much of the... And I wanted to connect it back to Isaiah for you guys as well. So 
just to show you that you know, these names do pop up. If you have some familiarity with, your na- with these names when you read through like the prophets and stuff and they refer to a king, you're like, oh, that was this guy. So it is helpful in that way, although admittedly at times a little dry. So thank you guys for hanging in there and for your patience. We'll see you all in two weeks. Lois, question. Yes. The line goes over and then up and over again. What does that little jog in those time? I think there's some, it's just referring to um, a little overlap in um, dates and in the, and uncertain about exactly when the uh, succession occurred. If you're looking at the same place I'm looking at. It's a date thing. They're trying to make it all fit on the same chart. If that makes sense, if you're on the same Amaziah I'm looking at. Okay. I, think, I think it's for dates. Because they're trying to list these in, in the somewhat order of the date they're thought to have occurred. Does that answer it, Lois? No, but it it doesn't. I I assume it's got something to do with dates. The dates oh. that it lists, like under Amaziah, it says seven ninety six to seven sixty seven. Mm-hmm. Well, the seven ninety six mm-hmm. would be the top line that goes clear across. <coughs> the seven sixty seven would be the the furthest down line that only goes part way over, and then it goes up and back over to the right again. I think. All I, all I know to tell you is that it is a chart they're trying to make it work for dates, but the dates are not known precisely. Um, that there's some, so there's some fudging there. Also, exactly which, um, exactly what year, you know, the transition of power occurred may not be known exactly. So again, as a general guide, but I certainly wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but it, relatively speaking, because it also shows the interplay between the two kingdoms when they're at war or when they're at peace with each other, um, you can kind of get a relative idea about who is king in the north and king in the south at that time. So, Don't forget, guys, if you want to sign up for any of the... Uh, um, I'll print you off some extra guides if you missed any. The sign-up sheet will be up here. Any other questions or thoughts? Thank you guys so much. We'll see you in two weeks, and we've only got two weeks left. <laughs> <laughs>